Jill, thank you so much. What a beautiful song for this Christmas season. We are very, very grateful for that song. Well, this morning, as Pastor Ron mentioned, we are beginning our Christmas season, our special focus and emphasis on the birth of Christ and all that it means to us in the Christian faith. Before we get into the message this morning, just want to mention a couple of things. First of all, don't forget that we have that, or we have a special night of Christmas music tonight. I think you will be blessed by it. We have eight different specials that have been planned for you to bless you, to encourage you. So I hope, if possible, you're able to come back out tonight. And then uh, I just want to say a big thank you to Trish Smith and the crew of ladies that work with her to decorate our church each Christmas. I think it just looks absolutely beautiful. And I'm just so grateful for all the hard work that they put in uh, every year. To, and we get so many good comments about how beautiful the church looks. And, and, and I'm just so grateful for that. Well, this morning, actually what I want you to do is to either with a piece of paper, a bookmark, or just with your fingers, I want you to turn to two different passages and kind of hold your place in both of them. The first is Psalm 8, Psalm 8. The second is Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 9, Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 9. And what I like to do, if possible, each year for Christmas is I love to preach on the traditional passages of Scripture and I will be doing a very traditional passage next Sunday morning. But sometimes I like to use passages that aren't necessarily thought of as Christmas just to remind us that Christmas isn't just found in Matthew and Luke. Christmas is found in the whole Bible. Christmas is found from Genesis to Revelation. And sometimes it's just good for us to remember that, that it's all about Christ. And so in Psalm 8, excuse me, we'll go there first. I just want to read this for you. We're going to focus on verses 4 through 6, but I, it's a beautiful psalm, and I just want to read the whole thing for us. It's a short one. It's a psalm of David, and David writes, O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? You are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Now, 
holding your place there, I would like you to turn to Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 9, and I want you to notice the strong correlation between Psalm 8 and Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Well, our first point this morning is the importance of Christmas. The importance of Christmas. In the late 19th century, a British skeptic suggested that three words should be carved in stone over all church doors. Important, if true. And I like that. And even though they were suggested by a skeptic of the Christian faith. I like that. I think those words probably should be printed over church doors. Important, if true. If they are true, if what we are preaching and teaching week after week is completely true, it is the most important message in the universe and that message needs to be taken to the ends of the earth. But if it's not true, we're wasting our time. We're meeting in vain. Our coming together is nothing more than a social gathering. Important, if true. Now apply that to Christmas. If the Christmas story is true, if everything about it is entirely true, then the birth of Christ is the single most stupendous event in history. If everything about the birth of Christ happened just as it is recorded in the Bible, then it is the most stupendous event in the history of the world. If the Christmas story is not true, then the entire season is nothing more than a fairy tale conjured up in the minds of well-meaning people. And you know, as well as I know, that for hundreds, if not thousands of people in our own nation, that's all Christmas is. Christmas is nothing more than decorations and a festive spirit and a good reason to get together with our family each year. But because of the coming of Christ, history changed. It changed from B.C. to A.D. And I want you to think with me 
what we believe about Christmas. Important, if true. We believe that an angel visited a virgin who became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. We believe the baby in her womb was the Son of God from heaven. We believe that God caused an unbelieving Roman emperor to call for a taxation that sent Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem at the very moment, at the very moment, Jesus was to be born. We believe that the prophets foretold the virgin birth and his birth in Bethlehem hundreds of years before it took place. We believe a star led the wise men from the east directly to the house in Bethlehem where Jesus was. We believe that angels spoke to shepherds. We believe an angel spoke to Joseph on three separate occasions. We believe an angel spoke to the wise men, warning them not to return to Herod. This child born in Bethlehem was declared to be Almighty God in human flesh. He is called Wonderful Counselor. He is called Mighty God. He is called Everlasting Father. He is called the Prince of Peace. He is called Jesus Savior. He is called Emmanuel, God with us. He is called Son of the Most High. He is called Christ the Lord. We are told in the Bible that he will save his people from their sins. We are told he will reign from David's throne in Jerusalem. We are told that his kingdom will never end. The great English hymn writer Charles Wesley wrote, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory. Glory to the newborn king. And so our second point this morning is important, if true. Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6, brings us face to face with the reality of Christmas. What is man? And this is speaking not of Jesus here, but of us but of God's creation of men and women. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, still referring to us, that you care for him. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Now watch this. And crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. I want us to see this morning the glory and the tragedy of the human race. Psalm 8 tells us that we, folks, we are crowned with glory and honor. We were created to rule over the earth. That is our glory. It is. We were created to rule. In Genesis 1, God, speaking of his trinity, of his triunity, says, let us, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that 
creeps along the ground. Let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them rule. Let them rule. That's what you were created to do. In our Men's Bible Institute class, just last Wednesday night, we finished the first semester of our Kingdom Man class. And then in February, we're going to begin the second semester of that class. We have been learning all semester that God created men and women to rule under his sovereign plan on his behalf. And that is in a special way true of men who under the lordship of Jesus Christ in his strength, in his power, depending on him every day for guidance and wisdom, men are to rule in the sphere of influence that God has given them in this world, in their families in their workplace, in their communities, with every person that God happens to place in their world, in their sphere of influence and rulership. Folks, that's what we were created for. We were made in the image of God. We were made for greatness. We were. That's how we were created. That's how Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden. But something has gone wrong. In fact, something has gone terribly wrong. In Genesis 3, we find that Adam and Eve plunge into sin, and they plunge the entire human race into sin. And we live every day of our lives ravaged by the sin within us and the sin without us. Every day, we deal with the effects of being fallen and living in a fallen world. In approximately eight months, we will be watching the Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I love the Summer Olympics. I like the Winter Olympics, but I love the Summer Olympics even more. And when we watch the Olympic Games, we will be reminded of both man's glory and of man's fall. We are going to watch Young men and women run and jump and swim and hurdle and wrestle and throw and dive and lift. And at the end of the day, whoever does it the fastest, the farthest, the quickest, the highest, the longest, wins the gold medal. And for that day, at least, they are the best in the world. And I remember a sermon that John Piper once preached in which he said he loved Excuse me, he loves the Olympic Games because we see a small, small part of what man was meant to be. Great athletic achievement. For a small time, a sense of world cooperation as it all comes together. But at the same time, we know that that glory soon fades, that records are made to be rope broken, and eventually all records will be broken. And all those Olympic athletes of the past, they all grow old. They're all going to die, and their achievements 
will come to little but dust. And all our heroes, all of our heroes end up with feet of clay. Oh, the fall of man that keeps us from what we were meant to be, from what we were created to be. We see it all around us. Everywhere we look, see hospitals. You know why we have hospitals? People get sick. They get sick all the time. We have police forces. We have branches of the military. You know why? Because they have to protect us from each other. They have to protect us from the evils of men and women. That's why we have them. We see it around us all the time. We see our loved ones grow old and die. We see ourselves growing older. We get sick. Let's take one week. This past week, San Bernardino, California, 14 people dead. violent shooting. I don't know if you saw the story, but I just read yesterday about an incident that happened in Taylor, Michigan. A single mom and her seven-year-old daughter were going to her indoor soccer practice. They were out in the parking lot of the sportsplex, and a longtime family friend walked up to them who they thought was just going to talk with him and he pulled out a gun and shot them both and then turned the gun on himself and shot himself to, to death. The little girl is dead, he's dead, the mother's in critical condition in a hospital down in Detroit. It's right here in Michigan. Unbeknownst to anyone, the man was severely struggling with mental illness. Folks, that's our world. And you know what? It's going to happen again and again and again. We were made for greatness. But something, excuse me, we were made for something much better, for something much better than we see in this sin-cursed world. In Hebrews 2, 5 through 9, we have the New Testament commentary on the Old Testament verses in Psalm 8. So Hebrews 2, 5 through 9, is the New Testament commentary on the Old Testament verses in Psalm 8. So turn there now. As I've shared with you many times before, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, right? The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. In these verses, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who the writer is, says in verse 3, we're not covering that verse, but in verse 3 of chapter 2, the writer says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Folks, we have a great salvation in Christ. Not just a salvation, we have a great salvation. Now, stick with me here. This is a really, really interesting passage of Scripture. And you have to understand Psalm 8 before you can fully understand Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. In verse 5 it says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. The writer is saying there is a world that is coming. Notice he says that, the world to come. He's not talking about earth. 
I believe he is talking about the coming millennial kingdom where Christ will rule and reign over a renewed earth. In that realm that will not be subjected to angels, but you know who's going to rule there? We are. The king's going to rule, the king of kings and the lord of lords, Jesus Christ. But the Bible tells us both Old and New Testament, Daniel and Revelation, we are going to rule and reign with him. We are going to rule and reign with him. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. And so you know what he does? He quotes. It has been testified somewhere. It's not because he doesn't know where it is. The writer of Hebrews wants his readers to understand that the whole of the Bible is the word of God. And he's simply saying, it has been testified somewhere. And then he quotes directly from Psalm 8, the Psalm of David, and he quotes it perfectly from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while. Notice that, this is while we're on the earth. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. That is talking about us. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. But here comes a key sentence. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Right now, we don't see everything in subjection to us. Right now, we are not ruling and reigning as we were created to. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why Jesus came. Watch verse 9. But, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death because of Calvary, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Oh, we're not yet all that we were created and meant to be. But somebody's going to bring that back to us. And it is Jesus who was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. God had to take on flesh and become like us. That's the incarnation. That's Bethlehem. That's the Christmas story. He came into this world as a tiny baby, born in a stable, in an obscure village, born in poverty, unwanted by the world, in order to one day die for our sin. In order to one day die for our sin, he had to become like us. Jesus tasted death for us so that he might conquer our greatest enemies, sin and death. Let me say that again. Jesus tasted death for us so that he might conquer our greatest enemies, sin and death. 
Matthew 121, angel speaking to Joseph about Mary, saying, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Matthew 121, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Right from the get-go, right from the beginning, Joseph is told this baby will save his people from their sins. In order to be fully human, Jesus had to taste death. Jesus suffered and died because that was the only way that he could save us. Only by dying could he give us life. Now let me try to bring this all together. Let me try to help all of this make sense to us this morning and relate it to Christmas. Jesus came to restore all that we had lost when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. Jesus came to restore all that we had lost when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. He came to reverse the cross, excuse me, the curse that we had brought upon ourselves. He came into this world born in Bethlehem, born of the Virgin Mary, so that he could reverse the curse that we had brought upon ourselves. Now in heaven, he is crowned with glory and honor. The babe of Bethlehem sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father in the highest place of authority in all of the universe. And one day, one day, all those who believe in Jesus will share in that glory with him. But that day has not yet come. But that day has not yet come. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Better days are coming, folks, but they are not here yet. Today, we weep. Today, we still weep for little children who die way too young, killed in acts of violence, killed by terminal illnesses, dying by the droves in poverty and oppression in countries all over the world. Today, we wonder about all the suffering and all the pain and all the heartache and sickness and death that we see all around us. We watch the news each week and our hearts are broken. Hearts are broken. G.K. Chesterton, who in the first part of the last century had such an influence both in literature and in theology, once said this, whatever else is or is not true, this one thing is certain, man is not what he was meant to be. I like that quote. Whatever else is or is not true, this one thing is certain. Man is not what he was meant to be. And the writer of Hebrews would say amen to that. At Bethlehem and at Calvary, God determined to save those who had turned their backs on him, who had fallen into desperate sin, and to return them to the glory that he had created them for. To return them to the glory that he had originally created them for. And so he came into the world, and he came into the world in a strange way, 
born in a virgin's womb, came out as a baby, born in Bethlehem, a baby named Jesus, born, born to save us from our sins. C.S. Lewis once said this, he said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. The Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. That's the good news of Christmas. God has done it all. I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning. There are many blessings upon this earth. We walk with our Savior. We enjoy our families and our church families. But every day, we are reminded that we are not yet what we were created to be. Every day in our own lives, in the culture around us, in the world around us, we are reminded that we were made for so much more. But know this. Better days are coming. God has done everything necessary to provide for our salvation and to provide for you a perfection in eternity. And the only thing left for me and for you to do is to believe. Is to believe. Important if true. This is my challenge to you this Christmas season. I want you to set aside your doubts, to set aside your own skepticism, maybe privately, secretly held, and I want you to believe it all. I want you to believe everything the Bible says about the birth of Christ. Every single detail, I want you to embrace it and to believe it with all of your heart as if you were an innocent five-year-old child with a heart that just believes it all and takes it all in. That's how I pray you will celebrate Christmas this year. And remember, remember, as you watch the news, as you watch ISIS make its way across the Middle East, as you watch inevitably more violent shootings and tragedies that will take place, remember there is a better day coming because of Jesus. This is not the end. This is not the end. Make sure you know him as Savior because if you know him as Savior, one day you are going to rule and reign with him. It is your destiny. It is what you were created for. Let's pray together. Father, help us to live as faithfully and as devoutly as we can for you every single day upon this earth. Help us to be a light for Christ in every area and part of our culture. Lord, help us to be the men and women you have called us to be while we remain upon this earth. Oh God, help us to be faithful. Oh God, help us to be faithful. 
But Lord, when we are discouraged and maybe sometimes even depressed, when we are heartbroken and weep for what's going on in the world around us, remind us in the deepest parts of our hearts and minds that Jesus came because a better day is coming. A day when we will rule and reign with him. A day when there will be no more sin and no more weeping and no more death. Oh, Father, we admit to you, we admit to you, we long for that day. So help us to be faithful now and to keep our eyes on things above. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.